0: Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Open in your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have a Bible like mine, it's page 1684. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to jump back in to our series entitled The Money Talk. And... uh, for those of you who are, are unaware and have not been here long enough or been at our, our last church, um, every year in, in our first church in January, I taught until God released me about biblical finances. I did that here until 2010, and that's when God changed um, my, my thinking about that and introduced something in, entitled um, Provision-Based Living. And and we taught that for four or five years uh, over the course of months. Um, tw- actually, there's twenty lessons um, in all of that. Um, that that whether you remember it or not, um, I can tell you by experience, it changed the church. And and so we're talking today about the money talk. And the only way to really have this 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 money talk is, is to believe that using biblical examples helps us. And so we're going to start this time today with your first quote we cannot have the money talk without using the biblical examples dealing with money giving and grace those three things and really their biblical principles the biblical principle of money is described in jesus's teaching he says you can't serve mammon which is a spiritual presence behind money that is negative you cannot serve manna and god and, and so anyway, we have to put God in the middle of our finances. That's where the money comes in. Giving is the expression of the living God inside of us, flowing out of us. We're made in His image in John chapter 3, verse number 16, the verse that all of you know probably by heart, and, even, and, and you only have to watch a football game to figure out that it's what it says. Um, but it, it, it basically uh, tells us that God so loved the world that He gave God so loved the world that he gave. The beginning principle of the, of the uh, uh, person of, of Jesus Christ, the person of God himself, is giving. And we're gonna sh- I'm going to show you that today biblically. Um, First, I'm going to prove to you the example thing that we have to use biblical examples. But I'm going to prove to you today, I hope, um, at least past your curiosity, that giving is not something that was made up by the law. It actually happened before the law. In fact, we'll see that that it happened before there was very many people on the earth, that, that something happened in the area of giving we're going to see that there is a grace involved. And a grace is that God never depends on us to do this with what we have strength to do. He's actually asking us to trust Him. And that's why the Bible says here, we're going to read in just a second, that it's it's not according to what you don't have. It's according to what you do have. When you recognize that God's grace is behind your giving, it will make you a cheerful giver because you're actually kind of technically not giving your own stuff away. And I'll just tell you, having been in ministry for 40 years, church people are willing to give the church's money away. Because it's not theirs. They'll tell you all the time, well, we ought to do this. And, And what God does, in my opinion, what God does first and foremost is deal with your heart to give away what God has given you. It's his stuff. And that's the, that's the grace necessary. Okay, so here we are. 2 Corinthians. Are you ready? Chapter 8. Read with me, if you would, please, in the first verse and following. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Notice that as Paul is teaching, that he begins to tell you that something happened in this area on these churches that made a difference in their giving. That's what this is going to be about. It's a grace that does it. Listen. When you trust God's grace, His unmerited favor, when you trust God's grace, it makes a difference in how you see things. If you trust God's grace in marriage, it makes a difference in how you see things. If you trust God's grace in any aspect, it changes how you see it. So when you trust God's grace in giving or in handling of money or those kinds of things, it changes how you see things. So many people in church world today think that churches, and by default pastors, are just after their money. And I make our elders nervous every once in a while by saying to to us, we don't care if you give, we're teaching this to you for your benefit. It's not because the church needs money. I mean, your elders, your elders, agonize is not really the right word, but they really process hard what to do with, with the, the resources that God has, has, has placed in trust in the church. And, and I, I've told you already, and like I said, we're going to give you a full report, and I may do it um, during a Sunday school, but when all those numbers are finally in and we get all of that, you will see that, that probably your, your church was within maybe 20% of, of so we, we, we gave away about 80% of everything that came in. Um, it's a significant grace that we are learning how to trust. And so when we talk about money, when we talk about dealing with this stuff, we have to do it through grace. This is not a legalistic uh, approach to things. We're, we're, We're trusting it by grace that God does these things and then tells us, hopefully, we, we, we struggle or we, 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 we strive to hear his voice and to do um, what he's called to do. And I just will tell you, having, having pastored this church for almost 25 years, having dealt with a lot of these elders for that whole length of time, um, that, that this is something that none of them have ever done before. It is, it is an awesome responsibility and it is an awesome time to hear God's voice in that way. So there's a great grace that comes upon that. Verse number 2. That in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded. If I had time, this verse is just pregnant with stuff. But it, 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 <laughs> trial of affliction. And you say, wait a minute, isn't he talking about money? Yeah, Do you understand how much affliction comes on you for making the decision to trust God with your resources? I mean, there's a there's a tremendous amount of the, of just just conflict inside of us as we say, God, what do you want us to do with this? And and just trusting, there's just this amazing conflict, and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded. Now, I'll, I'll, if you read this wrong, what you'll think is, well, these were poor people. I personally think that what he's talking about is their their poverty, which is really their their. Um, opportunities to do what God's called them to do, to to process in that grace. The church in in this day when this is being written the church is just starting. So there's this poverty of understanding this poverty of, of spiritual output and people are going man they had this poverty they didn't really understand, they didn't really have God's word on it. But it bound, abounded in the riches of the liberality. What does that mean? One of the most early things that we do is to understand that gracious giving, abundant giving, is one of the earliest processes that God uses to bring us to maturity. See, if you don't understand this, you'll wait until you can afford to give. And that probably won't work well for you. And so we know that we have this example. Let me show that to you in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 10. Just back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And notice if you would please, the beginning of it. Verse 1. He says, moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud, in the sea, all ate the spiritual food. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. With most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. This is talking about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and essentially testing and or tempting God in that, in that time. And Paul is using that to teach us how to use those times as examples. Now notice it says then, now these things, verse 6, became our examples. It literally is a prototype We look at what they did and we notice that their widget didn't work very well and it needs some adjustment. See, when God's leading you through something, some of the most tempting things to do is to ask God to give you more than you're prepared to understand. A lot of times we want the why of something without understanding the supremacy of God. Well, God, why are you at it? Because there's an example. I mean, the children of Israel, They were slaves, for heaven's sakes, in Egypt. And when they got ready to have have their greatest struggle, they had their greatest struggle over garlic, leeks, and turnips. (laughs) Now i got to tell you something. I don't like turnips. I don't like turnips. I don't know why anybody would struggle over turnips. But they struggled because what happens was they kept saying to Moses, did you bring us out here to kill us? See, there's something that we learn from this example, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to show it to you in, in Old Testament Scripture as well. What we're going to learn is that the complaining that we do is really out of place when we trust God's grace. That'll get you. That will, that will reach up and bite you like a dog in the dark. And it'll get you because we complain so often, but what we're complaining about is what we don't understand. Oh, God, please tell me, please tell me. Notice it says then, keep reading in the, down to the 11th, 11th verse. It says, now all these things happen to them as examples, literally the prototype that needs to be developed in each one of us. That prototype, who they were, right? So Egypt is a type and a shadow of the world. Right. Moses is a type and a shadow of Jesus or the Holy Spirit and the fire and the cloud type and shadow of the Holy Spirit, you know, leading them through the wilderness into a promised land. That's all Christianity in a picture. He says these things happen as a prototype. If you're going to go to the promised land, you need to take the prototype example that the children of Israel used and say, wait a minute, this needs to be tweaked a little bit. This needs to be tweaked a little bit. You got to do some tweaking. All these things happen to them as examples. They're written for our admonition. See, we don't talk this way anymore. But admonition is a really special word. Because it means encouragement that leads us to correction. Encouragement that leads us to correction. So when we look at what the children of Israel did, we see how much they whined and complained, and you know, a whole generation of them, they wandered They wandered for 40 years when the distance by foot, according to law, was 11 days. They could have walked it in 11 days, but it took them 40 years. We need to understand that this word admonition really is this encouragement to find the correction See, what happens is we look at the Bible we say, oh, it's absolutely this, it's absolutely that. But what God's showing us is by looking at these examples, there are certain aspects of correction that we see by looking. I'm just telling you right now, I don't want to be in the children of Israel during Moses' time. Because we like the certainty of misery, Egypt, over the misery of uncertainty. They didn't know where they were going other than what God promised. Abraham went through the same thing in Genesis chapter 12. God said to Abraham, get away from this place. Get away from your father's house. Get away from here to a land which I will show you. Abraham, Abram, did not know where to go. He just knew where he could not stay any longer. The children of Israel could no longer stay in Egypt as a type and shadow of the world. They needed to be the example for us to leave worldly things, worldly thought processes, and move into the promise process of life in Christ. And so the admonition gives us the opportunity to seek out the kinds of correction that happen. Now, if you get this, when I read Genesis chapter 4 in just a little bit, you go, yep, there's some correction right there. See, it's encouragement to find the correction. See, so many people come to church and think, well, you know, I just, I just hope that the pastor doesn't make a big deal about giving today. And they're actually hoping against the correction. They're hoping against it. Well, and then people get embarrassed. I've been in church a long time. And can I just tell you something that I see up here and not necessarily with you, but in my other church, they were this way. We had little velvet um, pouches with wooden sticks on the side. They're beautiful. And so, you know, you, you have a stick on one side and a stick on the a pouch in between. And I saw people who were giving nothing. And you say, why were you watching? Yep, that was my wilderness. Sorry. Um, but I would see, and they were giving nothing, but they would, they would sneak their hand into the pouch like they put something in. <laughs> they were embarrassed that man would notice that they weren't giving. And of course, I was... Up in the platform, you know, up on the area taken, you would see it happen, and you know, I, I would just chuckle about it, going, <laughs> do, 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 "Do you understand that um, whether I notice or not, um, there's somebody who always notices? You can't, you can't head fake God. You can't fold up a piece of paper and make it look like a check." My point is, and not to make you feel guilty, my point is that you you lived in in a, a, a level of deception thinking that man cared. God sets all this up so that He can encourage you to look for the correction. See, God doesn't honor people because they give so much. Remember the story of the woman with the two pennies? The rich people came in, blew trumpets, man, made a big deal. And, and Jesus saw the poor woman come in and she gave two pennies, essentially. And Jesus, Jesus said, do you see that? And he measured her faith in her heart over two cents. It's not about how much you give. It's about how your heart processes it. Amen? You say, well, but pastor, you don't understand. I feel really bad when I can't give. Why is it that we feel bad when we can't give, but we feel good when we misspend our money? <laughs> Back in the days of like Blockbuster, when, when we used to rent movies, you know, and things like that. And I know some of you are too old. Movies used to come on a big black box. <laughs> With a big piece of tape in it, and you'd stick that thing in there, and this machine would turn the tape into images on your on your TV. And it cost five ninety nine or something like that, and it cost three dollars if you didn't rewind it. Okay, and so I challenged our church one time to to process how they were handling their money by measuring, and I don't even remember. Um, what the, what the store was called but the Imperial Video Store which by the way you all remember Wes and Sandra Bowers it was Wes's mom who ran that, is that am I telling that right story sometimes when I get old I just mix stories together because they make sense and so I would challenge people to look at their ledger their checkbook and see by the way a checkbook is, is a, a little folder <laughs> with paper in it because it was before credit cards you say, why was before? Yeah, um, y- you all pushed companies into giving you a piece of plastic that doesn't hurt at all. To go, foot, foot!" foot. Just swipe that dude. I stood yesterday in a, in a, at a basketball game in a, in a uh, concession line to buy a bag of popcorn. And because their swiper quit working, We didn't know what to do. And I said, would it be okay if I just pay in this stuff that's going away, that's money? Can I just give you a dollar for this? You know, and they look at you, wait, you have money? I was in a line the other day during Christmas. And the line, I didn't notice it, but the line said, no cash, card only. What? And so, you know... I had this thing I had to do. I had to balance off my impatient nature to get in a line that was 12 feet long to give cash or if I'll just put the cash in my pocket and when the credit card bill comes in, I'll, you know we'll make that all work out and all that kind of stuff because I just detest all of that. Anyway, the point is that we don't think what got us into this position where we can't give because what happens is we didn't look for the encouragement to find the correction. See that's what this verse says. They're examples for our admonition. Why did it fail? Why did a whole generation of people die in the wilderness and all I can really find out that they did was whine and complain? I mean honestly I should be dead because I spent a good portion of my life with my primary spiritual gift as whining and complaining. Thinking, wow, shouldn't we get the admonition, the encouragement to find a correction? I think we should. Amen. Notice what else it says. It says, for our admonition, end of verse number 11, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. He says, really, this is going to be an example to you until end time events. Which I find just Fascinating. Which means you can go to it time after time after time and have some encouragement to find the correction that you need to make. Verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to all men, but God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. By the way, don't say that God won't tempt you beyond what you can handle here. He has a different uh, assessment of your abilities. He will always tempt you beyond what you think you're able to stand. Because when you get past yourself, you will trust Him. So don't misread this. I've heard so many people make a a doctrine out of this. Oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's just such a bunch of hooey. It's terrible. It's terrible. Because then we think God's making some sort of mistake when we go through something that's hard. Hard things make you trust God. Unless, of course, you didn't get the correction memo, and then hard things make you complain. Put up that quote, would you, Jeremy? We regularly succumb to temptation, making our own ways, forsaking our allegiance to God. We regularly succumb to temptation smaller and smaller areas but we regularly succumb to temptation because we want things to go the way it makes sense to us right how many of you ever seen what um, a a government or a business has done and you say to yourself well that doesn't make any sense well did you think they were gonna come talk to you before they decided what they were going to do well I just don't like it pastor yeah I get you I don't like it either but if my result as looking at the example if my result is to never ask God for the correction to be excited about the presentation of the possibility to adjust my attitude I've missed it and I succumb to temptation and I talk bad about the stores that will no longer give me a plastic bag or have the audacity the out-and-out out prideful audacity to charge me a dime for it. Nobody's ever done that, right? I'm just, I, I'm just talking, you know, there are people listening on the internet, that, that's them, but it's not us. You know, we've, we've never complained about that. Amen. We regularly succumb to temptation. Regularly do that. All right, here we go. Are you ready? I'm going to give you three opportunities to be admonished or literally encouraged to find the correction. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 4. Look with me at the first verse, and we're going to read this extraordinarily carefully. Because these are the areas of the Bible that we can easily get bored with. Because sooner or later what happens is the writer, for some unknown reason, tells us about birth lineage. And after about the first two or three people, we are lost. Because so-and-so had so-and-so who had so-and-so. And and then this happened, then that happened. And finally we say, we don't really care. Just get on with it. So pay attention. Now Adam knew his wife. His wife. Intimate and experiential. Knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. And said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now you all know the story. Now we're in it. We've got Cain and Abel here. One of these dudes ends up dead. So get ready. This is the part that makes a good movie. Somebody's going to die. It doesn't involve explosives. But... Maybe they weren't invented yet. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, let me stop for just a second. We're four chapters, three chapters into the beginning of time. The beginning of humanity. There's no instruction about what we should be doing with uh, uh, the vocation, the things that we do. And there's no instruction about what we should do with the money or the the, the, the property that comes out of that. There's no law yet. This is completely before any of that. And yet what we're going to find here is an admonition. Really a word that will help us find correction. Are you ready? Verse number three. And in the process of time, underline that in your Bible, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain bought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. There's no instruction to bring anything to God up to this point. This is just what lives in the heart of man and somehow Adam and Eve got it across to Cain and Abel that in the midst of this we should give something to God. There's no instruction. There's no law. Don't, don't, don't think ahead here and say, well, they're doing that because they have to, because God told them to. There's no instruction to do this. Now, notice again what I had you underline. It came in the process of time. This is an indication that after everything else was done, Cain thought about God at the at the end of everything else what that likely means is that he did everything he needed to he bought the food he needed and traded or did whatever he got everything fixed from the harvest that he had and when it was all over he sat down and thought about God here's some admonition for you if when you think about God it's the last thing you do after you get paid this is your word See, after everything else is done, well, what should, what should we do from God? And yet we know that the first thing in our heart should be God. We know that. There's a, there's a correction that comes out of this. And You say, well, I just don't think that way. It's okay, but there's no reward for being wrong longer. God wants to be first in your life. It's principally explained throughout the whole Bible. Seek ye first. The Bible says. But what do we do? Well, after everything else is done, I always love it on Sunday morning when you can look out and see who didn't have anything better to do but come to church on Sunday morning. You say, does that really happen? Doesn't it happen in your life? I have to choose every week. My wife tells me, get up and get dressed. You're the pastor. You've got to go. See, without the grace expectation that God's going to speak to the very depths of your own heart, it's easier to stay home. Because then you can watch it online with a clicker and just fast forward through the parts you don't like. (laughs) Amen. Man, that's awesome thinking, Pastor. Way to go. I never thought of that. I'm going to stay home. I don't like much of what you have to say, Pastor, so I guess I'll just stay home. And I'll watch when the kids are leaving and see if I can see who's in church today by whose kids are leaving for for children's ministries. Amen. That's why we put up a slide over our camera. Uh, I don't know what, what do you call that, Jeremy? Whatever you do. He's frowning at me because they didn't know what I'm talking about. When we pray for people, we're not not shooting a camera shot of what's happening up here. We're just putting up the music or whatever he puts up up there. Because you see, some people just want to come to church to see who's got problems. Do you understand? It's admonition to find the correction. Don't get mad at me. Don't sit there and go, I can't believe he's saying this. It's admonition from the scripture to find the correction. The first time that we're dealing with money, God seems to be suggesting through this story that He should be first. He seems to be suggesting that. So giving God your well thought out leftovers leads to character exposure. When you give God your leftovers, it will expose your character to the spirit world. That's a good correction. Because you don't want to give the enemy any ammunition to come beat you up with. You understand, when he beats you up with your own character, he has a a, a right way to, your, your character's at display. You didn't accept the correction of God, so he uses your own character against you. He says, shouldn't you be this way? Didn't God say to you? You go, well, no, it's not that serious. And you enter into a conversation of guilt and manipulation with the enemy. That's a great admonition for correction. Amen? Notice it says in the third verse again, The process of time came to pass a game, that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offerings. Abel brought the first opportunity for increase. In fact, this is where the law came up with the first fruit offering. You all know what a first fruit is? First fruit is the first in in, in an agrarian society, the the firstborn of the sheep he didn't have just one little mama sheep having there, but the first one that was born he gave to God, and the fat, meaning they sacrificed it, and ate it probably, but anyway. And Cain brought what was left over. The difference between Cain and Abel is what part of what God provided they brought. So let me help you with this, you want a little correction? In today's economy, the first fruits can be almost anything. Now, because I am old enough to um, receive Social Security, I pay attention now. Tracy and I do not receive Social Security at this point, but I know the government set all this stuff up. And so as I was processing this, I said, God, I've got to have some understanding of this. And so its first fruit is of the increase of your produce. Okay, so the increase, not the produce itself, but the increase. So you give a first offering. So the increase in Social Security happened in, in your January check that comes whenever that comes and however that works. And I, I don't really know. But if you were a first fruit person, you would give the first increase to God. The $80 or whatever it was, you would give to God. And You say, Wow, well, I can't afford to do that. See, you're missing the admonition for correction. You say, well, I don't want to do that. It's okay. I'm not trying to get you to give more. I'm trying to get you to understand the biblical monetary positions that the Bible offers. See, there's no law to this in Genesis chapter 4. But God respected one of them because of the nature of the heart that gave it. If you got a raise at your job this year, you might consider... Giving the first time you receive. You've never had to live with that money before. So the first time you give that, 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 get that, that increase of $150 or whatever it is, you should consider giving a first fruits offering. Because the Bible says give first fruits so that your barns may be full and your vats may overflow. Yeah, I know. It's... Nobody's ever taught us that. Nobody nobody taught us to look at the Old Testament and look for the corrections. How do we fix our widget? The Lord respected in verse 4. The Lord looks with intimacy towards what we offer Him. He does it today. He looks with intimacy. He is supposed to be the number one thing in our life. He gains that intimacy by inspecting. He said he had respect for it. He inspects it and gains an understanding. It's not about how much somebody gave. It's not about what it was. It was about the understanding that the heart had when they gave it. And because Cain's offering was disrespected by the Lord, the Bible says in the fifth verse or whenever that is... um, There's your quote right there, God's respect, comes from the understanding His inspection of your heart produces. He's always looking at our hearts, always. And it produces something inside of us, an understanding for correction. That's why the New Testament calls what happens in the Old Testament a chance of admonition, encouragement to find the mistake. I hope this is making sense to you, because if it's not, you just look at it and say, well, I just want to give what I want to give. Well, I'm I'm getting to, to that thought process in just a second here. Notice in verse number five, it said, but he did not respect Cain and his offering and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Cain got really, really angry when it looked like that God respected his little brother's stuff but didn't respect his and his countenance. He actually acted the part. This gets really personal, but he didn't respect it because of what was in Cain's heart, not what he gave. So now God has an issue with our heart. If we don't get the correction, God has an issue with our heart. See, he's always working inside of us. So that's why it's so important how we predetermine to respond. Uh, just, i must gonna stay off that. It says, why is your count?"s verse six, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Was God missing information here? Did he need information from Cain to understand? No. He needed Cain to understand why he was angry. Cain was angry because God respected his little brother over him and what his little brother gave. God essentially said no to Cain because of his heart and yes to Abel. See, it's not really the sin... Of others when I don't get my way. It wasn't Abel's fault that God didn't like Cain's stuff. It was Cain's heart. And sometimes what happens when we miss the instruction memo, when we miss the correction, is that we think, well, you know, that pastor, he just wants more money. That church just wants more money. That's not what we're saying. We're saying there needs to be an inspection that you recognize that God is doing on your heart. When your heart doesn't submit itself to the inspection, it's oftentimes because you've decided that your way is better than God's way. And you get just kind of hacked off at anybody suggesting that your way's not quite what God is saying. have so many stories and I'm trying to stay away from them because they're real people with real faces but I got to tell you there are times in ministry where people are so bound and determined to have their own way that they'll leave church and never go to another church because they couldn't get their way in the church they wanted. They missed the admonition to find the correction. Verse seven, if you do well, if you do well, what does that mean? If you process according to the benevolent nature of the God you were created after, if you do well, won't it go well with you? Of course it will because you're operating from the benevolent nature of the Father. This is not about doing the right things. It's about being the right reflection. If you do, if you reflect the character and nature of God. Well, amen. Amen. Do you get it? You know the story, right? Cain went out and killed Abel. God came to Cain and said, hey, where's your brother? And he said, am I, am I my brother's keeper? Continually defiant judgmental self-defense it all because Cain didn't put God first and it made him mad he was angry that's the first expression in the Bible of giving is what just happened I think God put it there for our admonition look at it find those areas of correction ...that you can operate in. You say, well, don't I just have to tithe? Listen, let's not be immature about this. God doesn't care how much money you give... ...but He certainly cares how your heart handles it. Amen? Turn with me, if you will... ...to Genesis chapter 6. I'm purposely staying early in the Bible... ...to stay away from any conflict... ...that somebody made up a rule. There really aren't rules yet. I mean, not exactly... You know, the the law brings the knowledge of sin. So we we didn't really have that. But in in Genesis chapter 6, we have the Noah story. And I'm just going to skip to verse number 5. And it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Notice in this inspection that God looked at the contents of hearts. Hearts. The flood did not come because of the wicked actions, it came because of the wicked nature of the heart. You say, is there a difference? Yes. The difference is that what you do comes out of the belief that supports it. Sin is not the problem, but the belief system that says I should act that way is the problem. It's the heart influence in anybody's life. This is the first instance of grace being offered in the Bible. Verse 6, and the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, and I'm sorry that I have made them. He says, listen, let's start over verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's the first instance of grace. Why? Because it's an issue of the heart. If you don't handle this, and we're just talking specifically about finances and money and things like that. But if you don't handle that right from the heart, you will not operate well in grace. See, grace changes you into a different person. It's what God does. This is the first time. So here's your quote. Grace is realized by the presence of the Lord in our life. Grace is realized by the presence of the Lord. See, I stand in a grace today as the pastor of this church. I recognize God's presence in my life to be what the pastor's supposed to be at this time. And we have to trust. Dear Lord, is that an, an, an example? But we have to trust what God's doing in our lives. By the grace of His presence in our life. Amen? The first expression of tithing is in Genesis chapter 14. Abram was a great warrior and had joined several alliances to defeat people. I'll just give you this story because this is a story about the king of Salem and the king of Sodom. And in one case, Abram comes back from the, the war and and comes to this king of Salem and he presents a, a victor's welcome to him, bread and wine. It's in this passage. And the Bible says in verse uh, number, I don't know what verse it is, Jeremy. Just keep scratching forward a little bit. Um, Where it says he gave a tithe of everything. Next one. Two. Yep, 20. There we go. When this happened, this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, came and blessed him by the same God that Abram serves. And so Abram gave to the king of Salem, who serves the most high God, a tithe of everything. There is no rule for this. There's no example for this. But in the beginning of this time, what Abraham did was God gave him the victory and the spoils that it represented. And he gave a tenth of it to the king of Salem, to the king Melchizedek. If you're real interested, just go read the book of Hebrews because the Bible says that Jesus is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I know there's a lot of connecting parts here. I just want you to see that the first time that there's giving, it's the Cain and Abel story. The first time that there's grace, it's the flood story. And the first time that there's tithing, it's the Abraham story. It's way before the law. So if we're going to talk about money, if we're going to talk about details like this, we have to take the examples that the Bible gives us, not what we think we know. There is no legalism that God is requiring in the area of giving. He's only inspecting hearts. There is no legalism in the understanding of grace. He's only inspecting hearts. There is no legalism in the issue of tithing. He's only inspecting inspecting hearts. If you read the next part of that story, and I'm I'm just paraphrasing this for you in Genesis chapter 14... The king of Sodom came out, and he was a notorious guy. He was evil to the core. And he says, Abraham, you keep some of this stuff. Just give me the men. He said, give me the slaves. You keep all the stuff. And Abraham says to the king of Sodom, I've made a vow with God that I will not take a single shoelace or sandal strap, lest you say you made me wealthy. The king of Sodom represents the world. Right, we we shouldn't take a shoelace from the world or a sandal strap from the. You say, well, how else are we going to do that? We're going to do that by trusting God and allowing Him to inspect our heart and then doing what He places there. It's the only way to handle your money. See, don't don't look at the church and say, well, it's my duty to give. If it's your duty, you won't likely gain the benefits. That gracious handling of your money and your tithe is, that happens through biblical understanding. You won't find the correction, the admonition. Now, I hope this makes sense to you because I'm going to keep going down this road a little bit trying to get you away from potentially what you've been taught, which has been legalistic. Right? Give so this faith ministry doesn't close. Right? And we, put, we use guilt as a... Listen. I... I am not manipulatable by image. I don't give to the poor little starving dogs or the poor little starving children. Both of them may very well be worthy things to do, but let God inspect your heart. Let Him place the grace in there for you to approach things and do that. Because that's where His principle lives. You say, well, are you telling us not to do that? I'm telling you not to do anything that God hadn't placed in your heart. Because there's no value to it. See, you're trying to get done what you want. It makes me want to scream when I see those commercials. I mean, just scream out loud. We don't want to kill puppies, but we wholesale slaughter babies in this country like there's no tomorrow. I mean, come on. This is crazy! You can't even buy a tuna can today that doesn't have somewhere on there to say these were naturally caught and we didn't hurt any dolphins. I'm a little bit cynical about all of this, but can I tell you, if dolphins are the highest form of intelligence in the, in the, in the, in the, in the animal, you know, aquatic world, why do they swim in the nets so much? You say, well, pastor, you shouldn't make fun. I'm not making fun. I'm asking a little question. We put value on things above, and we actually have people judge our hearts. Tracy and I were behind somebody the other day at, at, by Walmart, and their, their bumper sticker said, if you hurt an animal, you should burn in hell. Well, at least we got that part figured out. Now, please don't go out and hurt animals. That's not the point. But let what you do come from a heart that's been inspected by God, and grace has been placed there so that you can give graciously as a generous giver in whatever you give to amen amen so, so we have some people out front today that are that are um, uh, presenting you with an opportunity as come on music team as, as the as the music team come on up here, um, give you an opportunity to support um, this, this uh, uh, petition that, that claims, and rightly so, that, that kids are worth saving. You can talk to them. They have great explanation of that. And, and we just invite you. Let God's grace motivate you to those things. Amen? Did you get the main point today? That the admonition of the examples is meant for us to be encouraged to find the, the, the mistake that where we see it wrong, where we're not processing things biblically. Amen. I know some of you are saying, I just can't believe, Pastor, that you have to teach on money like this. I'm trying to do it for your benefit. God doesn't notice our giving. He notices our heart. So let's do some heart work in relationship to grace and, and finances. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand with me, would you please? Father, in Jesus' name, we just so bless you today. You have so many things, Father, that you just don't leave up to us. But you hid them in your word for us. And when we find them, Father, you inspect our hearts. You give us the grace to stand where your word says we should stand. And we find ourselves, Father, in that position of saying, God's grace motivates me. It's that great grace like it was on the churches of Macedonia. It motivated them through all the difficulties, Father. And so we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.